Hello, everyone, and welcome to How We Work. I am your host, Dr. Misha Ann Martin, and today I am joined by one of the breakout speakers of Work Human Live. I have been hearing about her session and how wonderful it was. So such a treat to have her here. She is a resilience coach, best-selling author of The Burnout Solution, an international speaker and psychotherapist, because all of that wasn't enough. Please welcome Shabon Murray. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me to talk with you. All right. So we do something very special on this show. We are work human and we love our humans and humanity. So we always start by asking our list or our guests to introduce themselves. So who is Shabon the human, the person? How would you describe yourself? You know, isn't that so interesting is it's one of the things that I ask my clients and even people when I'm working with them in a corporate is who are you? Just don't tell me yes. what you do. Yes. Tell me anything else. Because it's something that we don't, we don't embrace. We hide behind what we do. Yeah. So who am I? I'm an introvert. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Would not have guessed. No. I'm neurodivergent. Also would not have guessed. Uh, proudly. Uh, that's, a, that's a new one. I am... A very compassionate, probably it's something that has filtered into me being a people pleaser in the past. So mm -hmm. I'm somebody who cares about what's around me. And I think that's what's drawn me to do the work that I do. And I am a mother and a friend and a daughter. And I have fluffy animals as well. <laughs> two dogs and two cats. Awesome. Awesome. So it's interesting that you talk to your clients about that because we started doing a couple of things at Work Human to humanize ourselves when we introduce ourselves and when we interact with each other. And we get feedback on it all the time. The first is the human portrait. So you might have noticed that in some of the sessions as part of the introduction, there's some pictures that are important to us and our likes. So now too many people know that I hate, can't, tuna, but I love canned sardines. Anywho. And then the second part is for human signatures. It's three lines of your human, you know, like things about you as a human. So mine says, for example, proudly Jamaican by birth, American by choice, fanatically passionate about how people experience work, love to experience culture through food and travel because that tells me about who you are, not what you do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So now let's talk about your work. One of the things that you study is burnout, which is so important. And we've talked a lot about that in this conference, but can you tell us about how you got into studying that? Like what made you decide this, this is the thing that I want to study and find out more about? I think, well, I've had my own experiences of burnout, but I wouldn't have even known what it was because I think my first experience of burnout was probably 25 years ago. The, the term, as much as it was there and it's been around for, for a long time, 
nobody talked about it. You know, it, people might have had high stress levels. They might have had stress leave from work. I've worked corporately. I worked in the music industry for many years. I worked for Elton John. What? Yeah. You didn't lead with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it's so interesting. I've had all of these different careers, but I burnt out in every single one of them. Interesting. In not-for-profit, I, I worked at setting up the first, raising the funds to set up the first Ronald McDonald House in Ireland. Wow. Very proud to, is still there. And again, you know, so different and, and but I burnt out. Mm-hmm. Worked corporately for McDonald's. Amazing company, burnt out. So I kept going into these very different roles and, and different careers. But that's because I think there's this misconception, you know, well, if I change my job, I'll get rid. This won't happen to me. And maybe I'm not saying that's not the case. But for me, that wasn't the case mm-hmm. because I was bringing a lot of me into the next, the next role. So it was always there. And it wasn't, until, I only went to do my degree in counseling and psychotherapy about 15 years ago. So very late to, to completely change. And initially I would work with people in, in all different areas. I was never gravitated towards addiction or anything that didn't interest me. But burnout just seemed to, I, I kept seeing this is what was happening, but they didn't have the language to say. So it was nearly organically. Mm-hmm. I ended up shifting into working in this area. And I had worked on a TV documentary in Ireland uh, about five years ago where they had, we took five volunteers from different areas of somewhere, nurses, male nurses, people retraining to do something else, chef. And we worked with Science Ireland. And this was the bit that really caught me. This was not, let's all hug trees and show that we can re- lower <laughs> stress levels. You right. Know? Okay. So Science Ireland were involved. They assessed every everybody. They did check their cortisol levels or glucose, did all of that at the beginning. I worked with three and there was another therapist who worked with two. So with no medical intervention, we worked with these five people to reduce their stress levels. Interesting. And then Science Ireland took them back, assessed all of their vitals, cortisol, and every single one of them had reduced their stress levels. Their markers had all come down. Well, what did they do? So we did, we worked with them by incorporating mindfulness. Okay. Gratitude. All the things that we talk about, but that people still go, yeah, does it really work? Yeah. Don't have time for that. That's not going to work. But there is science behind it. And from working on that, that TV documentary, I then was commissioned by a publishing house to write a book on burnout. Okay. And now it's just, <laughs> I know it's awful to say I get so excited when I'm asked to speak because we want, we want to do prevention. We do not want to be working with recovery. Yes. Okay. That's chronic burnout or habitual burnout. The effects of that, not just on the individual, which is horrific, but on their families. And then their companies, you know, it, it, it's the ripple effect. So I want to go back to what you said about self-awareness about being burned out. 
And that reminded me of a conversation I had recently with a direct report of mine because I'd been checking in, like, are you burned out? Because I can see the volume of work coming in, right? But I know that burnout is about how you feel. And so I'd been asking the team, how are you doing? I'm worried about, you know, I'm worried about you burned out. And every person assured me that they were doing just fine until one day, one of them said, I looked up one day and realized that I hadn't done anything fun after work in a very long time because I was just so tired. Oh my gosh, Misha Ann, I think I'm burned out. So how important do you think it is to be aware of the fact that you're burning out? And it's so interesting that you even observed Mm -hmm. that because, you know, the question that I get at, what's the first thing we should do? You know, if someone's burning out, it's the awareness. Yeah. If something, if the way that you are feeling or thinking is not your normal, and I say your normal because your normal and my normal. That's right. They're not supposed to be. And if they are the same, then there's something wrong because we obviously then got separated at birth. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) you know, we're, everyone's normal is different. But if I am not, if I don't firstly know what my normal, my good, healthy, positive health, which keeps me away from ill health, if I don't know what that is, then it's going to be very hard for me to then identify whatever I'm feeling over a prolonged period of time is not my normal. Yeah. So, and you know, normal is not when everything is tickety-boo, all great. <laughs> tickety-boo, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's, you know, we have bad days. Yeah. We have days we're tired. We have days we're irritated with our family. This, you know, it can't all be great and fabulous. But normal is that you're, you, you can identify, actually, I'm not going to go um, and do whatever that fun thing is because I am tired. Yeah. But you know what? I'm going to catch up with you in a couple of days and we'll do that fun thing. Right. So it's, that's your normal. If we don't know what that normal is, then being able to quickly identify when that's changed. So for your direct report, it took her a while to, to identify and go, it's just dawned on me, I haven't done something. Yes. So that self-awareness is, I, I'm quite irreverent when I talk about this. I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> it's not about navel gazing and going, you know, I need to know who I am. And, and uh-huh. it's just that awareness. I will always say, if I don't know what my triggers are, mm-hmm. if I don't know what makes me happy, how on earth am I going to communicate that to the people around me? That's true. So it, it isn't about deep reflection that people can say, oh, I don't have time to do that. Mm-hmm. Are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Are you an ambivert? Yeah. If you, if you are a, an extrovert and you're working five days in an office or you're working at a big work human live conference <laughs> event, which is amazing, but you're surrounded by people. And when you finish after four or five days of being at something like this, you're an introvert. If you don't know that and respect that, and then you go straight into doing another big. Yes. Okay. So there's somebody's heading to burn it. That's a really good point. Yeah. What burns me out may not burn you out. Oh, it's not linear. Yeah. 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 Okay. At all. Thank you. Okay. So could you tell us the story of twisting the jar? 
And what can everyone stand to learn from that story? So twisting the jar is, it's a concept based on the fact that I think around the world, we're not great at asking for help. Oh, geez. I'm not great at asking for help. It's something I've been working on for years. So it doesn't matter whether, where you're from, doesn't matter your gender, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter your age. We're not great at asking for help. So, and I am going to preempt this with a warning, a trigger warning, but there is no, this is a good story. Okay. My mum, who is amazing, who is very much still with me, when she was about 35, she had an aneurysm oh. on her. Uh, she, went to, she worked in an ad agency, went to work one day, killed over. I was about five at the time. Now, she, full recovery, brain aneurysm, full recovery. But one thing it did is it left her slightly weaker on her left side. Okay. Which she still is, as I say, 77, 78 now. Roll on till I was about... 16, 17, where her and I are living together. She is in the kitchen. And I remember this so vividly. We were in the kitchen, just the two of us. And she was making dinner and she was trying to open a jar. And because remember, she still, she didn't have as much power. So she handed me the jar. My mom was a really strong, independent. She was a single mom. She, you know, she was a force to be reckoned with. She still is. But She handed the jar to me, asked me to twist the jar open, took it back and continued doing what she was doing, which was making dinner. And here's the thing. When you're on your own in the kitchen and there's no one with you and you need to twist the jar open, you can stab it on the top with a knife. (laughs) You can run it under hot water. Rubber band. Rubber Rubber band band. works really well. You You can do all those. And they may or may not work. And you can get more frustrated and angrier. And... It can filter into this pointless, the negative spiral that we can do. Yes, I know that spiral. Or you can open the kitchen door, shout out if there's somebody in the house. Can you give me a hand? I just need you to do this Mm -hmm. so I can do what I'm doing. The whole point is, of course, we can do things on our own. Not a problem. But isn't it so much easier if we can ask for help? So empowering people to know when and how to ask for help. Twisting the jar, that's all it is. It's just knowing when and how to ask for help because we're not an island. And without social interaction and connection, it is the backbone of resilience. Yes. It's the backbone of community. It is the backbone of how we feel about ourselves. So we need to ask for help and we need to be able to give it. So one of the things that I've learned as I get older, when people you love go through tough things and they ask you for help, it's almost a relief because you love that person and you want to make things better for them. And so it is great that they've given you something to do to help. And so that's one of the things I remind myself of when I'm struggling to ask for help is that people who love you welcome the opportunity to help. You've done them a favor because you're telling them what you need. Yeah, because we're not mind readers. That's right. And there's, there's a great saying, 
in, in asking for help, even if you don't know, if you're the person who's been asked for help, you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Simply just say, do you need me to listen or do you need me to help you find a solution? Another great tip. I have a friend, you know, that's super good at this. And another thing I tell myself is because my internal voice says, well, if you ask for help, people will see you as less capable. But then I look at my friend who's really good at asking for help when she needs things. And I don't see her as less capable at all. She's probably storming through life. She is super capable. Absolutely. And very emotionally mature. So she's my hero. All right. So you coach people on how to manage burnout. What are some of the most common themes you see and approaches that you found resonate well? Well, the common thing is, is that people, which it does make me inwardly smile reflecting, is the majority of people will think that they can manage burnout themselves, won't ask for help, then get really burnt out, Mm -hmm. and then it takes twice as long for that recovery. So the asking for help, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, and tied into that is acknowledging this is not my normal. Is that would be the most sort of the, the common thread. So by the time they come to work with me, we're really, we're now a chronic or habitual burnout as opposed to the early stages. The other part of that is when people come, it's, a, well, how quickly can we fix this? <laughs> what, what date? What day will it be all done? <laughs> it is. So initially it can take me two to three weeks of working with somebody to near, as I call it, it's like turning the volume down on the intensity of what's going on for them and then getting them to strip it right back. So it's not about giving, nobody needs anything more on the to-do list. True. You know, we don't need to add mindfulness and, and, and the, like when I, I talk about movement, not exercise, people go, you know, but I, I go for a run every evening or I do this. So I turn the dial down, go for a 15 minute walk. Your body, if you're, if you're burned out, you don't need to be putting your adrenaline under any more pressure. That is a really good point. Oh, it's walk. It's like, yeah. turn it down, stop the gym. You don't, that's not what we need right now. And getting people to, to focus on sleep. I always call sleep is the mother of positive health. So addressing sleep, one of the most common things with burnout, and I'm not saying this is, is everybody does this, but there can, can be an increased dependency on alcohol. I could see that. Prescription meds, non-prescription meds, because they become the perceived distressor. So it's not about people being told that you need to stop drinking, but it's addressing that and looking at where, where people are with that. Yeah. Where they're using it as a crutch, right? Yeah. Cause it's not, it's not a distressor. Right. So I, I look at the four pillars. So your sleep, nutrition, movement, and clutter. Clutter. Oh yeah. Can you talk more about that? I am fascinated. So it's clutter is not just sort of the, the clutter around, you know, cluttered desk, cluttered mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- th- there is truth in that. I will say my desk and my office is organized chaos. But I know Mine it. too. Yeah, but I like know I it. need all my things around me. Yeah, yeah. And my I, lotion, <laughs> my lip balm. 
my glasses cleaner, my screen cleaner, my colored pencils. Come on. All of it. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. They might eat two different diaries. Yep. You know. But we're talking about the, the clutter of toxic relationships. Oh. We, we can have a tendency to hold on to friendships out of a sense of duty and obligation. Oof. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I feel like I could do a whole therapy session about this. Please continue. And, you know, whether it's because we've known this person for so long. Yeah. And it, it, this is a really tricky one when it becomes family members. We would talk about extended family. Yeah. You know, we're not going to just suddenly knock them off the Christmas card list and, right. and never see them again. But if we become aware that that person or that situation where you're drawn together, that that has a negative impact um, on you and continually, not just one off, but continually, then then that's a point where we need to go, OK, well, what boundaries do you need to put in place yeah. for you? Is it that you go to an event with that family, mm-hmm. that family event, but maybe you only stay an hour? What is your get out of jail card? What is so that you're not feeling bad? So it's managing, it's, it's creating that care of self plan that's yours that you can pull out for any event, any situation. That's awesome. So speaking of movement and turning the dial down, yoga has gotten me through many a stressful situation, burnout situation. I tend to be a ruminator and I'm not very good at meditating, but there's something about the breath and movement at the same time that serves to really calm me down. What would you say? So I'm going to turn the tables. I'm going to ask you a question now. (laughs) What's the one thing as a human Mm -hmm. that you're in control of? The one thing that I'm in control of, Mm -hmm. what I tell myself. Oh God, no. That, that. That inner critic that we have, they, they, they run riot. They throw all sorts at us. That is true. That yeah. is true. Okay. So what is the one thing? Your breath. Oh. I'm thinking about that as an asthmatic. Okay. I'll still take it. My breath. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So when you're doing yoga, you're using your breath to focus your mind. Yes, you're using movement. Mm-hmm. But you're using that breath to get into those positions. Yes. To focus. So you're not thinking, yeah, you might have a thought that comes in, oh my, what, what, what will I cook for dinner? But you very quickly, you shove that back out. There is no way I can do those holes. <laughs> and then, because I do all the, you know, like challenge myself to do the binds and stuff. Mm-hmm. There's no way I can bind and breathe and think about dinner, which is probably why it works for me. See, <laughs> that's mindfulness. All right. So your book is called The Burnout Solution, 12 Weeks to a Calmer You. Could you give listeners a sense of some of the exercises or practices that you talk about and recommend in the book? So that self-awareness, who you are, understanding introvert, extrovert. I talk about mindfulness. As a mindfulness practitioner, I, I... don't subscribe to the conventional way of my, I don't listen to apps. I don't do any of that. For some people that works really well. So the book is very much on creating ways of integrating all the good stuff into your life. And some people will have, you know, we, in the book where I talk about sleep and um, the four pillars, gratitude. You know, if you're in a state of gratitude, it's not that it's 
difficult. It's impossible to be in a state of negativity. True. If you're in a state of gratitude. But this is not about twisting your day or your week or what's going on into a state of toxic positivity. Oh, gosh. That, you know, if, 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 it's, if you're against the wall and you are not in a good place, you need to acknowledge that. That's fair. And you need to, you need to absolutely seek help for that. We can make ourselves go, okay, I'm not feeling great. I'll do a dance and, and get happy on, on the smaller things. Mm-hmm. But when we've got big things going on, that's not going to work. Yeah. So the book is broken down each week is a different topic. There are forms, there's quizzes, you know, that you can use as you go along and checklists. And, and it's about bringing it all together. It's not, you nobody got burnt out overnight. Recovery is, is not going to happen overnight. So it's written in a very accessible way. I didn't want to go down the route of using all sorts of fabulous, big, long words that I can't even pronounce. So it's for anybody to read. So we start out by talking about self-awareness of burnout. Can you talk about some of the physical manifestations of burnout that can clue somebody into the fact that, ooh, I'm pretty burned out right now? Well, and I think one of them was you had identified that lacking joy. Yes. And again, that can be quite subtle, you know, that it doesn't just happen, you know, straight away that we acknowledge that. It can be that the increased reliance on alcohol, food, more sugary foods, and because we're constantly looking oh, for that. Right. Yeah, we're, we're looking for, if you imagine when we're, when we're in a heightened state of burnout, so we're in high stress, yeah. um, fight or flight continually, and we're not resolving it, our cortisol levels are going. But in order, if, if the lion jumped over, to scare us and we went into automatic fight or flight, we would get a glucose rush to give us the energy. Interesting. To either fight the lion that's jumped or run. But we don't realize even as human beings now that that fight or flight is not the, the lion coming, but we still get the, the glucose. So our sugar levels are depleted because our glucose. So we will be craving the sugar throughout the day because we just don't, we don't have it. So we irritable, tearfulness. We might, there might be issues falling asleep or being, or falling asleep and then waking up two, three, because we get a cortisol surge of stress. And it's completely different. Being exhausted is normal with burnout. It's continual. So sleep is not restorative sleep. Rest is not restorative because we don't know how to rest. Like we've, we've, we're still ruminating, like we're still thinking about all the things, but we're not getting to a solution. Very, very common is that level of irritability where we're snapping at colleagues, family members. And one of the really interesting things, and I know this is, you didn't actually ask me, this (laughs) is a roundabout way. What's really interesting from a work perspective, but also from a family perspective, burnout is not contagious as in, you know, you don't touch someone and they're, oh my God, I've got, I've got, I got the burnout. I got the burnout. <laughs> but being around somebody who is 
burnt out, who was irritable, unmotivated, disengaged. All of those are contagious. Wow. So if you've got a team or a family and that's what you're around all the time, then everyone around them is going to start to be like that. Wow. So we really need to nip it in the bud, basically. Absolutely. Okay. So as two women on this podcast, I'm not going to let you get away without answering this question. And this is my final question. So I want to talk about imposter syndrome. Can you give us your perspective on what contributes to that and how we can begin to address the underlying factors of imposter syndrome? Because I think it's related to burnout, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting. You know, I've seen whether it's high achieving equity partners in law firms or medical consultants. It's such an interesting concept that feeds into our personality type of not being good enough or not feeling validated. But I also think it very much feeds in, you know, it can be as simple as the one teacher or parent or auntie who at some point said to you, (laughs) said to one, (laughs) you're just never going to amount to anything. That one comment said at that moment, which just stays with the person. And so, so needing to prove themselves continually and it then that needing to prove becomes habit. Another contributing factor I see is outside validation. Mm -hmm. So if somebody maybe grew up in a household where they got praise for being, you know, the straight A student when they were a B student instead of that was well done. Why didn't you get an A? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, grandpa. You know, it's, and the, the, we can say to somebody, you know, maybe it was this and you kind of go, no, no, I'm, you know, I've done my work on that. I'm fine. It's still there. So it's, it, it, it all goes back to that self-awareness and understanding. Yeah, actually, when you say, maybe it was your grandfather who it said it. was my it, grandpa, yeah. You know, what, how do you feel about that? Like, what, what happens to your body? It's that physical reaction in your body when we talk about that. Then you know where that's come from. Yeah. And then you can start to work on validating yourself. Validating yourself. I love that we've ended on that note. Thank you so much for your time today and for this conversation and our listeners. As usual, thank you for being here on How We Work.